Hello and welcome to this special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. My name is Father Adam Potter, and today we reflect on the 23rd letter, the historical Jesus. In the opening paragraph, we find out the Screwtape is not happy that Wormwood's patient is coming to know many other Christians through this girl's family. Good Christians, very intelligent Christians too. I love how C.S. Lewis in writing this just takes little, like, right, as I've said before, every line is just packed. And so even in this, there's kind of a cynical, good Christians, even intelligent Christians, really pointing out that, gosh, how many people are really unimpressed with the intelligibility of Christianity or the intelligence of Christians that there would be this idea of many Christians just following along in blind faith because that's what they're they, that's what they've been told that's the culture that they've been brought up they're probably brainwashed and have no actual original thought themselves to really believe this and then what happens whenever you realize oh wait there's actual uh, historical philosophical and theological consistency in all of this huh that's dangerous right and so Screwtape um, is lamenting to Wormwood. His patient is in a bad circle uh, for his demise. And so at this point, he admits that the spirituality will be impossible to remove. So it needs to be corrupted. Needs to be corrupted. That spirituality would be corrupted. Have you ever um, had spirituality corrupted or noticed spirituality being corrupted in somebody else? They have a real love, a real devotion to Jesus, but based on maybe how they go about that devotional life or that prayer life or the different people that they're influenced by, it comes to really distort who they are, who who God is, and that relationship. So that's what uh, needs to be corrupted. And if they're successful, it will be corrupted into one of these personalities, so to speak, a spoiled saint, a Pharisee, an inquisitor, or a magician. A spoiled saint, uh, to be honest, I guess I'm not totally sure who this would be. Maybe you all have a better image of that. I kind of have in my mind one who admits to loving Jesus, but actually loves themselves more. It is like just in a way that it's all self-serving. It's all actually about them. And so they, they look really holy, but in, in the end, they're just really doing it for themselves and to be noticed. A Pharisee is one who is caught up on all the laws, all the rules, all the regulations of religion with no room for grace, love, or mercy. An inquisitor, yeah, this is a great one. <laughs> one who's always looking to unmask and burn the heretic. They're the cultural warrior, right? Ready to just fight and take down everything. And not that there aren't things to fight against, but if that's all you are, uh, you're missing love, perhaps. And finally, a magician, one who thinks that the spiritual life is magic. If I just do this 54-day rosary novena, then I will get this miracle. God almost turns into a vending machine. Insert this price and get out this answer to prayer. The best attack, admits Screwtape, will be the borderline between theology and politics. Now, that theology and religion would have social implications is a bad thing, according to Screwtape. This is valuable for us today to appreciate in an American mentality, 
where we boast of a separation of church and state. And this is wrongly interpreted to mean that there should be no intermingling in either direction. You stay in your lane, we'll stay in our lane. You just talk about God, we'll just talk about uh, laws and uh, politics. And the reality is that the separation is really intended to protect religions from government influence. That all the all the faithful, all of the individuals would have a right to worship God without interference. That one's faith would influence their political positions was actually assumed, right? Of course, what you believe about God, about the dignity of the human person, etc., would impact how you vote. That it that it wouldn't um, is just really a disintegrated or dishonest vision of uh, what faith is really all about. So now we then move on to the main crux of the attack. How do we do this then, this uh, borderline between theology and politics? It's kind of an interesting move that C.S. Lewis has Screwtape take, and it's the attack of proposing the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus. Hopefully you were able to kind of pick up who this is or what this idea is all about. It kind of sounds like uh, what it sounds like. It is what it sounds like. That historical Jesus is an idea that Jesus is a real historical figure and nothing more. That to admit, okay, we have plenty of first century documents and historical records that confirm he existed. But that is as far as we will go. No more. No miracles, no divinity, no resurrection from the dead. And notice why this is dangerous. Well, for a lot of reasons, and Screwtape will list four um, reasons or advantages. But just to throw this out there, right, it can be really misleading that um, perhaps Jesus is accepted by the world, by national leaders, when in reality, he's not actually believed in. He's, he's being rejected. So notice how deceiving it would be to have your own national political leaders talking about how we need to imitate Jesus more in our lives, when in reality, they don't actually believe that he's the savior of the world. They would be assuming that he didn't come to save us from our sins, but he came to save us from poverty, world hunger, or global warming. And so it might give us a good feeling that to hear about the president talking about Jesus, but if he doesn't actually believe in him as the divine son of God, then it's actually diabolical to, to use the actual image that's being proposed to us. So uh, hopefully you caught it in paragraph three, that long paragraph throughout this letter. Screwtape outlines four advantages, and we'll just touch on them briefly. First of all, the advantages to the historical Jesus. They all tend to direct men's devotion to something which does not exist. For each historical Jesus is unhistorical. (laughs) This is an amazing line. Um, Do you get why it's unhistorical? It's unhistorical because if you read the documents, according to the documents, it's very clear that Jesus is much more than just a historical figure. That he actually acted spoke and revealed himself as divine, as the savior, as the Messiah and the gospel writers. And then all of the epistle writers, James, John, Peter, they write about Jesus in a way that is so much more 
than just being a historical good figure. They write about him as the savior of the world, as God who became man to bring us up to share in the divine life. And so, yeah, that the proposal of historical Jesus brings us to something that does not exist. This is great for the demons because it might produce good citizens, but it won't produce saints. The second advantage is that they place the importance of their historical Jesus in some peculiar theory he is supposed to have promulgated. We thus distract men's minds from who he is and what he did. We first make him solely a teacher. So this, of course, is uh, very advantageous to the enemy because if the emphasis is not on who he is or what he did, then there's almost a disembodied image of Jesus and only to emphasize on what he taught. Now, how deceiving is this? Or maybe I should say, how appealing is this in terms of having conversations with non-believers that you can say, well, didn't Jesus teach good moral things about treating others the way you would want to be treated, etc., etc.? So that can be a good departure point when talking to an atheist. <laughs> and yet, if, if that's all we believe that Jesus is, just a, a good moral teacher, then again, we're missing who he is. And of course, if we miss who he is, then we can't actually love him. For to love means to be in truth, in the truth of who he is. And Jesus did, uh, was clearly not about just coming to bring a new moral framework or a, a way to be a good person. Good persons don't go to heaven. Sorry. <laughs> Saved persons go to heaven. Those who know and love Jesus Christ and have offered him their lives. Those are the people that go to heaven. And that's why Jesus came. The third advantage that Screwtape offers is that you destroy the devotional life for the real presence of the enemy, otherwise experienced by men in prayer and sacrament. We substitute a merely probable, remote, shadowy, and uncouth figure. One who spoke a strange language and died a long time ago. Okay, this is an incredible, incredible insight. So that if you just look at the historical Jesus as someone to have devotion to, what happens to your actual prayer life? Who are you praying to if you're just believing in someone who lived 2,000 years ago, who didn't work any miracles, wasn't divine, didn't didn't actually save us from our sins on the cross or rise from the dead and send us his Holy Spirit so that he would be with us always until the end of time. All of a sudden, Jesus becomes even more distant, shadowy, and irrelevant to my own life, as opposed to the glory of him being the divine son of God who actually took on our humanity to unite himself to every single human person from all all ages, all classes, all his, um, historical time periods, races, genders, classes, etc., right? Now, all of a sudden, through the power of the Holy Spirit in this divine reality, Jesus isn't just someone who lived 2,000 years ago that I'd really like to think fondly about. No, he actually becomes present to me 
through the word of God, through the sacraments, through the worship of the church, that I come to encounter a real living person who desires to live and act through me and in me. This, all of a sudden, is a devotional life. But historical Jesus destroys that. The fourth advantage, uh, Screwtape says, no nation and few individuals are really brought into the enemy's camp by the historical study of the biography of Jesus, simply as biography. Uh, I think, is it Abraham Lincoln or somebody else? You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. I thought it was Abraham Lincoln who tried to put together a biography of Jesus using the gospel accounts. But anytime that there was a miracle, he just he just took that out. <laughs> he just removed that. He wanted to put together a completely um, sterile vision of the of the gospels i'm sure for good ecumenical reasons or something like that uh to be able to present the goodness of jesus that's disassociated from a superstitious miraculous person and yet all of a sudden what's the problem well i'm not going to give my life to someone who's just a good person or just a good teacher or a, a really good example of of how to live I'm not going to give you my life. I'm not, right? And so few people are brought into God's camp, into heaven, by just looking at the biography of Jesus. And that's where one of my favorite lines in this whole letter is when he says, the gospels come later and were written not to make Christians, but to edify Christians already made. This is a real flipping of how we view the gospels so often we kind of forget the historical way that the church came first jesus came to establish a church based on peter the pope and the apostles as those first um the disciples as the first apostles and successors of him and then they put together later these gospel accounts that only went to validate and fill out the saving message of the good news of the gospel, that God became man. He saved you from your sins through dying on the cross. And by the power of his resurrection, we no longer need to fear sin or death. We have new life in him. And that was enough for the first century believers. And to have the, the story of his life then filled out was only then to validate what they already came to believe in and give their life to. We flip that today, right? We, fl- we flip that in a way that we think the Gospels are what needs to be criticized and evaluated as being worthy of believed in. And all of a sudden, we just become real skeptics and, and looking at the Gospels in a way that they weren't actually intended to be read as proof texts. Um, no, they're actually were written to not to make Christians, but to edify Christians already made. That's, that's a great line. Okay, moving on to the fifth and final paragraph. It concludes by the admission that historical Jesus is always to be encouraged. While the demons do not want faith to inform their politics, they can attack the twisting of this relationship so that the faith, Christianity, becomes the means and the end would be personal advancement or social justice or whatever else it is. So 
pro- keep proposing historical Jesus. Allow it to be just about changing this world, this life, the conditions of the poor in this world, without actually accepting a full vision of Jesus that came not to save us from poverty, not to save us from um, wars or horrible calamities. He came to save us from our sins. And so all of a sudden, if we lose the, the actual Jesus and just look at historical Jesus, then we're open to faith not becoming the end, but the means for these other social justice uh, advocacies. Does that make sense? Maybe a good question is, how do we feel about social justice not being the end, but a means, right? So it's social justice, helping the the poor and fixing injustices is not the sole purpose of what Christianity, Christianity is all about. It's actually a means to being faithful, to loving Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we, um, that people, the poor, are just means or objects. Um, we don't just use people, never. But the idea is to love Jesus in the poor. See Matthew chapter 25, where he says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did it to me. And so we love the poor. We love those who are most on the peripheries, those who are most overlooked, most disenfranchised, not as like, this is what it's all about. It's because Jesus is what it's all about. And by loving them, I come to love Jesus. And the last part of this letter is worth commenting on too. The passage of a Christian that Screwtape found that describes the proposal of his own version of Christianity. Did you catch that? So there's this Christian who writes about his own version of Christianity. And the rift that the demons celebrate is, quote, believe this version of Christianity, not because it's true, but for some other reason, end quote. Okay, again, not looking at Jesus in the truth of who he is, all of a sudden, we come to have Christianity fall into a religion of personal interpretations and personal preferences. And this is really dangerous. The reality is sacred scriptures can easily be twisted. I can I can use sacred scripture polling from Old Testament, New Testament uh, to justify pretty much whatever I would want it to. I could justify um, sacred scriptures to show that I should make a lot of money as a priest, that I should drive a really nice car to be able to um, get to where I need to go. Maybe I even can justify having a private jet to go where I need to go. The, the laborer deserves his pay, says Jesus. You know, and those who are faithful are blessed, says God throughout the Old Testament. And so all these, you know, I could justify <laughs> like a really distorted vision of a priesthood that isn't actually trusting in God, but is trusting in manna. And so the scriptures can be really dangerous if they're just interpreted according to the individual. And that's where there has to be a church to interpret the scriptures in actual authority. And thank God that Jesus gave us an authority. He gave us the church. Whoever listens to you, listens to me, he said to those apostles. So, Yeah, uh, St. Augustine has this great quote. He says, If you believe what you like in the gospel, 
and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. And that, whenever we get to the proposal of the historical Jesus or these other distortions of of the gospel, we just need to come back to really believing in the word of God. And not as we like it or as is beneficial to us, but as has been handed on and preserved through the tradition to serve sacred scripture and tradition so that we can have full access to Jesus. Here's a final proposal coming to the end of this podcast. It's to capture the real Jesus. Have you ever taken the chance to read the Gospels with a real openness to encountering Jesus Christ? To read them with a real question, who are you, Jesus of Nazareth? Who are you? Why did you come? How did you reveal yourself? What is it that you did and what what did you want to accomplish? Maybe the Gospel of Mark is a great one to start with and to read it as if you've never read it before and don't know what's going to happen. Allow the full drama to unfold and notice how all of his actions go to reveal his love for you. Let's pray. Let's just pray. We're so, oh gosh, spoiled that God loves us so much that he sent his only son that we might know him and that we might have a real protection over our own minds, our own hearts in this relationship with the real authentic Jesus, that it might come to inform and pervade everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, a prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. If you'd like to support the work of Dry Bones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. God love you all. Please pray for me. I'm praying for you. And I look forward to being with you next time. God bless.